Welcome to Nurture in Nature Radio, your weekly nature playlist for kids and families. Join us each week where we'll show you how getting outdoors with your family can help your kids be happier, healthier and smarter. And you'll open the door to a whole lot of fun too. So come on, lace up your boots and let's go and play outside. Here's your host, Tanya Maloney. Hi everyone and welcome to Nurture in Nature Radio. I'm your host Tanya Maloney and welcome to episode 4 of the show. Today on the show I speak with Dr Ron Swaysgood. Ron is a conservation biologist. He's also the Director of Applied Animal Ecology at San Diego Zoo and the co-founder of Family Adventures in Nature, Family Nature Club. So in this episode we chat about the importance of teaching our children to know and love the natural world to ensure we're nurturing our environmental stewards for the future. You'll also learn how Ron, his wife Janice and their two adventurous young boys make nature part of who they are as a family and how family nature clubs can bring families and communities together. We weigh up the risks and rewards of nature and you'll hear how letting your kids off the trail to explore nature is often the right thing to do. Ron has a really interesting perspective to share, given he's someone whose job it actually is to preserve and care for nature. So let's get into the interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Hi everyone, Tanya Maloney here, and today I'm really excited to be speaking with Dr. Ron Swaysgood. Ron is a conservation biologist and the Director of Applied Animal Ecology at San Diego Zoo. He is the General Scientific Director for the Cocha Cashew Biological Station in Peru and the co-head of the Giant Panda Conservation Unit at the Institute for Conservation Research in San Diego. Ron and his wife Janice are so passionate about the movement to connect people with nature or reconnect with nature that they founded a family nature club near their home in San Diego called Adventures in Nature, which has over 1,000 families as members and has expired inspired a number of a large number of nearby nature clubs and far away ones too I'm sure and as you'd expect they're two adventurous young boys uh, share a deep love of nature with their really great and fun mum and dad so welcome Ron and thanks for chatting with me today well, it's a pleasure to be here and speaking with you about this issue it's one that's uh, near and dear to my heart I'm very passionate about this issue now, when I was speaking to Janice uh, about family nature clubs in particular, she suggested that you'd have a really valuable and powerful perspective to share and something a little different maybe than we've spoken about before. And of course I agreed, so I'm really excited to be able to share that with everyone today. And I've heard you personally describe nature as being your oxygen, your religion almost. And so first for yourself and then with Janice and now as a family, you've obviously made nature a real priority in your life and that's innate for you. So I'd love you to share with us where that love of nature grew from and how it's evolved over time to who you really are as a family. Yeah, you know, I think uh, just being out in nature has always uh, been, I guess, second nature for me um, for as long as I can remember. I think it's in my DNA. But, you know, I think it's really in everyone's DNA, and uh, I think some of us lose it. And I think our society today helps us helps us lose that. But I think... 
where I got it was um, as a child. I was just given the time, which is a commodity in short supply these days for kids, and um, and then in, in freedom. Um, I, I didn't have helicopter parents. I don't know that we had helicopter parents when, when I was a kid in general. So I think left her own devices, almost any kid that has time on his or her hands is just going to get out and play and explore and just, you know, make the world of, of, of their own backyard. And so that's, that's what I experienced as a child. I, uh, you know, I, I ran around, I lived in suburbia in North Carolina, but we had the vacant wood lots and the creeks and the trees. Um, <clears throat> my mom used to say that whenever she wanted to call me in for dinner, she always looked up and called, Ron, looking for me up in the tree. So that's just, uh, <clears throat> so that's how I grew up, doing, just doing those sorts of things. And of course, we, we were on um, camping trips every summer for a few weeks and got to see the world, visit all the national parks. And that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, I think that's that's where it came from, and I never lost it. I never grew up. That's my standard answer. <laughs> Peter Pan, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you kids think that's wonderful as well, Dad. Uh, I'm sure you climbed a few trees with them in your in your time as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> excellent. Now, you described your you describe your connectedness connectedness to nature as a gift and a gift to be really shared with others, and I think that's really mm -hmm. beautiful and powerful to give that gift to others but also to give back to nature as well which we'll talk about a little later how do you go about sharing this really beautiful gift with families and you know maybe give us some tips how we might do that in our families in our communities as well well you know i think the main way to share a gift like that is is to just to be yourself and um sh uh, share your joy and your passion um you know people connect to nature but people also really connect to people who are passionate about nature, and um, and when you're out when you're out with a group of other families or even your own family, you know it's not a lesson on the trail. You may have a lot of knowledge. You know I have a fair amount of knowledge for nature. I study it for a living, but um, that's not what that's not what it's about when you're out exploring. You know sometimes it's good for kids and other families just to just to enjoy to experience to. You know, even if they don't know what something is, they can they, they don't you know they can still try to guess what it might be. So rather than telling them, you know, let them experience it on their own terms. You can guide that you know, and when they're curious and want to know, and you know, if you've got the uh, the natural history knowledge, you can you can impart some of that along the way as well. But I don't think that that I think if you if you focus too heavily on that, which a lot of environmental education programs do, by the way. I think it, it, kind of, it kind of kills the joy. Yeah, so it's, it's, about, it's about being curious and exploring and just having those yeah. adventures and, and sharing those and, and often letting our kids lead the way rather than always yeah. trying to control what's going on. Yeah, and, and let, your, let your own inner child free, you know. Yep. Um, don't be embarrassed to, to show joy in a, a beetle crawling across the ground or a small flower, you know. Or jumping in muddy puddles. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's, yes. um, so, you know, you, you love nature as a family. So why not just share that love of nature within your own family? Why share it with other people? And, and what really happens when you bring 20 or 30 families together or even just two or three for that matter? Yeah, you know, the two are, are very different experiences. And uh, they're not 
mutually exclusive. You know, I, I don't think you should do one and not do the other. Um, but you get different things from 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 each of those. And you know, obviously, being out by yourself or with your family, um, it's a very it's a more quiet time. It's more reflective time. You notice nature more. You know, you see the birds. You you notice the wind through the the trees. And that sort of thing. And when you go with a group of families, um, the dynamic changes. You know, you're still exploring nature, but a lot of the focus becomes more social. And uh, so, and I find that, you know, you, you somehow get a little deeper into understanding other people, whether it's your own kids and family or somebody you've just met um, when you're out in nature. There's something about nature that, that really um, strengthens bonds and and loosens up conversation I think and so that so that social part is something you get and that's wonderful now if you're the leader um, or the one that's organized the activity you get another thing you get you get this sense of satisfaction a reward for you know, doing something good you see you get enjoyment from seeing how the others enjoy it particularly those who may not have enjoyed something like this in the past. And you see them for the first time opening up to the possibilities of nature. And I often say to Janice, after we, you know, we do a camping trip or a hike and the family's had a good time, I said, I often say, you know, we did something good today. And so it, I guess in a sense it's altruistic, you know, that you're giving back. But, um, but it really, you know, it kind of, and it gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling that, that motivates you. Excellent. And, uh, and share that with everyone, you know, with others around you, and that radiates from you guys, um, mm -hmm. definitely. So, um, so there's, there's, no nature, there's no doubt that nature can be a pretty powerful um, experience, or being in nature can be a pretty powerful experience. And there are things and events and feelings that you can experience in nature that you just can't get anywhere else that don't compare. And obviously mm -hmm. these transcendental experiences and opportunities occur individually. But can you give mm -hmm. us some examples of how um, nature can offer those experiences and, and as you say, the opportunity to develop community? What happens in, say, conversation or what happens in relationships with between children and adults in those adventures that they're sharing together in nature? Yeah, I think it kind of relates to what I was just talking about. You know, so if you're out in nature by yourself or with outward bound where you're dealing with a physical challenge, there are certainly transcendental experiences or transformative experiences um, that are very different. You know, it's, a, you know, it's about the, cha the physical challenge or it's about um, some experiencing some amazing, beautiful sight or animal. Um, but there's, there is also something transformative in the power of the social dynamic when you're out with other families um, and this uh, uh, sort of reconnecting with your community, uh, particularly nearby nature and neighborhood um, uh, nature that involve your community. There's something about coming together with other people that live in your community and exploring nature together that makes you feel part of a bigger whole, I think. Yeah, and, there, and we can use that to build community. So when our kids are outside and playing in nature, just in our communities, and there's more eyes on the street, really, isn't there? Absolutely. You know, and I feel in, in, in our country, in the United States, you know, that sense of community has really deteriorated over the last generation. And I know there's movements in some places, in Europe, for example, to, 
to reunite those communities. And that's exactly what happens in those communities. The kids are, you know, the whole neighborhood is looking after the kids um, that are running around. So that gives kids more freedom to run around because you know and trust your neighbors so they can grow up more like we grew up back in the day. Um, and it makes them safer. And now, Ron, as a conservation biologist, you've got a really ex interesting perspective of children in nature. And you've made the suggestion that quite often we should invite kids to play in nature rather than telling them to keep out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's definitely a time and a place for kids to get off the trail or off the beaten track, as us Aussies might put it. And sometimes that's the road less travelled that's made all the difference, right? Absolutely. You know, I think if you were to interrogate all the leading environmentalists and conservationists, um, none of them grew up staying on the trail all the time and not ever touching nature. That's just not how kids see the world. Kids are more visual than adults, and they don't appreciate just looking, um, and they really have to interact. And, um, you know, I think we, we really take the joy out of, out of the nature experience if it's always, don't touch, don't do that, stay here. Now, clearly, I'm a conservationist, so clearly there are places where you have to stay on the trail and you can't get off. You know, nature can be fragile. Um, but yeah, my argument is every day humanity finds destroy nature. You know, we build shopping malls and roads and farms and, and everything else. And then with what's left, we tell the kids not to go in it. And I don't think that's going to work as a conservation strategy. I really don't. Kids have to have the joy of connecting to nature using all their senses without a parent or an authority hovering over them telling them they can't do this and can't do that. And if they have that experience growing up, they are going to be the ones that are passionate about protecting it. It's going to be their votes, um, their donations, their culture and mindset that's going to maintain our environment globally for the future. And if we don't have that, I think the conservation movement is, is going to suffer. In, uh, in Australia, we might call you uh, uh, an environmentalist or a conservationist. We'd probably call you a greenie. And maybe not the same greenie that I just read about on Google the other day that they refer to in baseball. But I think it would be really nice to, to foster in our kids the want to be little greenies. And, um, yeah, I think that, it, that that's great. And that brings me to my next point, I guess, is when I was reading about one of your blog posts the other day, which I always love to read, by the way, thank you. Um, you said that nature provides those transformational experiences that bring many of us to a career studying and trying to save nature. And I imagine that one of the things, and, and you've talked about it before, that drives you in your commitment to trying to reconnect people is that passion you have for your career and for conserving the environment and, and caring for it. But is it also for you about the very real concern of where our environmental stewards of the future will come from and, and wanting to ensure that passion is nurtured for future generations? Absolutely. You know, um, that is uh, one of my underlying motivations. It's not, it's not something that I put first and foremost in the day-to-day -day experience of it, but um, it was uh, very important in motivating me to become involved in the movement to reconnect people to nature. And I think, um, and as I mentioned before, I think, I mean, there's a time and a place to get across messages about environmentalism, about, you know, not overusing our resources and um, 
I mean, turn off the lights, turn off the water, um, recycling, you know, reduce, reduce, reuse. And, and I think some of that can be integrated into these fun-oriented nature experiences. But I don't, but you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't want to come out with a strong agenda, preach environmental um, messages during this time because it'll take away from the joy and passion part, which has to be there. If you're going to, they need the information on how, but before, but on, on how they can be a better environmentalist or conservationist. And, uh, but for that to work, for them to act on it, there has to be a love and a passion and a caring that underlies that. And I think, I mean, family nature clubs, both, but at its foundation, they mostly address the passion and the joy, first and foremost. Absolutely. And on that, you know, we, we've talked about just making it a habit, and you do that in your family so well, about family nature clubs. But what other sort of, you know, more community-based activities can we get our families involved in or get involved in to enhance our connection to nature? Well, you know, we all have um, some sort of uh, parks and uh, and open space areas, and I really encourage people to get to know their environment, their community, and get out. And, you know, a lot of those uh, open spaces have organizations associated with them that do things to... Um, to encourage conservation of those areas. So they might be uh, planting trees to restore a riparian area, or they might do a trash cleanup. And and I would encourage, and this is something that family nature clubs can do or people can do as individuals, but to get involved in that stewardship of nature as well. And I think, you know, act locally is the way to do it. Find those local um, activities. There's uh, sometimes there's civ uh, civic associations that that, that, uh, that do this sort of thing, and I think it's a good experience, and you give back. But also, by becoming involved in a conservation problem or a conservation solution, um, you, as an individual, you start to own that, and you uh, internalize it, and so you're going to care more deeply about those issues, whether they're in your backyard or on the other side of the globe. So that, that's what I would, I would recommend trying to do. Excellent. And I know I just, just yesterday I called my local government department, my local council here, and we have National, uh, I think it's National Tree Day, I'm not sure if it's global, on Sunday. And I just said to them, well, you know, what have you got on so that my kids and I can maybe get involved in that? And she rattled off three or four things in my area. Right that I could, we could go to where, you know, maybe I wouldn't have thought of that before or, or you know, and, and potentially it's, it's good for, you know, government to take lead on that and maybe promote those a little more so that families can, can get involved and do know that these things are around, so. Um, Absolutely, I think, it, and I think it's just as important, I, I don't think kids can be too young to do this. We may think, or, or even organizations may think, oh, they don't want younger children because, you know, they're not really going to be that helpful. But what is going to be helpful is you're, you're, going to, you're going to capture their heart early in life. And they're going to have that sense of pride from providing the community service. And then again, they're going to own that problem. And, and you're, you're never too young to do that. So even if, you, even if the kids are too young to make a meaningful contribution, I would still encourage them to try to get involved. Well, my kids are two and four, and I've been talking to them about it or with them about it all week, and they're very excited. So, uh, 
very much looking forward to tomorrow and creating those memories and having lots of fun and, and you know, enhancing our bond with each other and with nature as well. So um, can we talk for a bit about the risks and rewards of nature? And this is something that every time I, you know, bring this conversation up or I am who I am and, you know, people just say to me, what about the, what are the risks? And I know it's, it is a topic that's front and centre in the hearts and minds of parents. So what are some of the risks and some of the rewards of nature and how do we find that balance? Of course, the first thing we do is to put the risk in context. Um, what we do with our kids every day entails risk, whether it's um, put, sign them up for soccer you know, the, um, or get on the highway. All those things have risk. And as a society, we've learned to accept those risks, and we've decided that the reward outweighs the risk. So the reward of being involved in an organized sport um, outweighs the risk of injury. And you can get serious injury from those kinds of sports. So I think given that context, you know, I don't think more risky. I think nature is inherently in many of the other things that we already do. Um, and we also know that the alternative risk of having kids inside, stuck on their, on their devices, watching the screen, we know what the risks are for that. And they're, and they're guaranteed risk almost. You know, the, you know, the childhood depression, childhood de obesity, ADHD, all those sorts of things. Um, are facilitated by lack of activity, too much time indoors. But outside, we acknowledge um, there are risks, and maybe we don't understand those risks as well as we did a generation ago. Out here in California, we have rattlesnakes, and that's a real risk. You know, um, they're, they're fairly common. We don't encounter them often, but, you know, we, we talk to our kids, we talk to the other kids, and, you know, we tell them the best thing they can do to avoid being bitten. And you know, knock on wood, no one ever has yet, but it's it's a possibility. Um, but it's also a possibility by a bus. So so there's um, just because there's risk, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Um, and you know you know there's other things. I, we have poison oak, and you know you can get rashes, you can fall down and get hurt, you can fall out of a tree and break an arm, and all those are real risks. But I'm also of the belief that if we try to remove all risk from children and make all their decisions for them about their safety and security, they never learn to make those sorts of decisions for themselves. And so then, when they're older and you're not able to hover over them and make their decisions for them, I think it's more likely those kids are the ones who are going to wrap their car around a telephone pole because they haven't learned that their actions have consequences and those consequences can lead to you know, a pain, a pain or injury. So I think those, those are, I think nature is a, a great playground for learning how to mitigate risk, how to take risk, and how to control the level of risk. And I think kids learn a lot from that environment. Did that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. And in, in doing that, you know, if, we, if we're out in nature and there are some inherent risks that are quite obvious, then as a parent, you don't, obviously just don't let your kids you know, I mean, maybe we did when we were kids, but you're less likely to let your kids just kind of run wild in that in a more dangerous environment. But that supervision doesn't have to be hovering, does it? Really, it just can be right. So you can kind of step back and let them make the decisions. But you know, when they start getting close to the the side of the cliff, or you know, they start swimming in the ocean where there's a dangerous undertow, 
that's, you know, when I'm, don't, I don't want to pull the parents out of the equation for mitigating risk. Um, but we also don't need to tell them what to do and what not to do every moment. Which quite often happens. <laughs> it's about letting yes, go. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and as I've been learning and hearing more about your family and speaking to, you know, people that you know who just think you guys are, are fantastic as a family, um, I've been really inspired by the things that you do together. And so it's not only the organised activities that you do, which I think are great, but also in just setting up that relationship and environment with them so that nature is accessible for them, you know, every day. And I think you're great role models, as I said, um, for other families to realise you don't have to go on that huge camping trip or, you know, attend your zoo, local zoo for an environmental education program or do a tree planting day. What I love about what you've done is build those natural experiences or opportunities in your everyday family. Would you share about how you do that? I know you've got a fantastic yard for a start. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it does. It starts with the backyard, and I think, and I agree, it starts. It's about cultivating a ritual, um, a family ritual, so that that's the expectation when they come home from school or have a little free time. You know, they don't ask to turn on the TV. They 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 go out in the backyard. And I think step one, and this will be a difficult one for some people, but step one is to kind of let things go a little bit when it comes to your backyard. If you want to have a really tidy, manicured backyard, and there's, if you have things out there that the kids can't touch or climb on or, or pick, then it's not a very kid-friendly yard. So you want to kind of let go. Our, our backyard's a mess. It's just, it's, we've got dirt piles. We let them dig. You know, if they want to break a branch of the bush and you know, break a bunch of branches off the bushes and build a little fort out of them. We let them do almost anything. So I think, so I think that uh, that step one is you know, allow giving them the time and the freedom. Time and freedom. That's the way to cultivate nature rituals. And that's you know, you can do that even with you know, you're inside you know, cooking dinner or sending emails or whatever it is we grown-ups are doing. Or you can be out there with them and enjoy just watching. And, and participating, um, but then of course the other rituals is to go places. And you know, again, start with your community. Um, we have a canyon that's uh, you know about 100 meters from our house. Got a little trail. It's not huge. It's, you know, it's mostly native. It's but uh, um, and I but I take the kids down there. I don't know dozens of times every year. Um, and so uh, every week we go down there at least some. And a lot of times, what I'll do is I'll just go and I'll sit down someplace. So when I was a kid, I would have been in the canyon alone at age five or six. I don't do that. I'm not quite. I'm not quite there <laughs> with my kids. But I can go down there, and I'm almost. I'm there if something happens. But I'm not. I'm. I, I just kind of let them do their thing. And they climb. They they get muddy. They play in the creek. You know. They catch some frogs. Catch and release frogs. And all those sorts of things, and it's just a great experience for them. And then, if you widen the scope a little bit more, you know, you hop in the car and you go to all those kind of cool trails and nature areas that are a little further from your community. And you know, the, the trick is just making it a priority. You know, um, it, too many of us feel like, oh yeah, we would like to do that sort of thing, but it's not on the calendar, and so it just keeps getting relegated to the back burner. And too many of us 
are well-intentioned but don't ever, ever do it. But if, if you establish a ritual, it becomes an expectation, and then you do that first, and then you build the rest of your life around that. Um, you should see our house. It's a mess. It's because, you know, Saturday morning, we're not cleaning the house. We're out on the trail. Beautiful. No. <laughs> you have to make some sacrifices. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Or get it. You know, if you could, if you could get a, someone to clean your house, that's maybe even better. So. <laughs> Couple of other well, we have some come every few weeks, but uh, it's, yeah. it's still. Yeah. Can imagine all the all the mud and the dirt from the backyard and all the sticks and stones that kids like to collect, uh, collect somewhere Absolutely. in your uh, in your house. Yeah, we have a, a lot of nature inside our house as well. Yeah, beautiful. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, your kids would be it'd be the coolest kids in the neighbourhood. I reckon. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone will be wanting to come to your house and, and jump in the backyard. So, can you talk a little bit about? Your, I know recently you went on a, a big camping trip um, with your family to the Sierras and can you talk a little bit, or camping and hiking, can you talk a little bit maybe about what you did there and how that brought you together as a family and how you grew as a family and then when you when you sent me an email back you said uh, we've arrived back and we're attempting re-entry and I really like a big <laughs> smile on my face and I thought that was wonderful so yeah. would, you, would you share a little about that with us? Yeah, um, you know, before before I go with what we did, I think, um, you know, in my position, I actually supervise quite a few staff, and I feel like it is incredibly important for in our work life that we take the time to disconnect from our work, and get and hope and, and best if you're out in nature because you really get off the grid and you have a different experience. And I think you come back fresh and more productive and more creative. And I think that's what vacations, particular nature vacations, can do for us. But of course, also, it's the best quality family time you can possibly have. You know, when you're when you're out camping, um, you know there aren't that there aren't all those distractions. You know, you're not you're not checking your your email on your smartphone. And so, in this trip up to the Sierras, that's what we did. You know, we got off the grid. Um, you know, we, we camped in a few places, and we spent each day we pick a different trail. And when we do trail, it's not about how much distance we can go. Well, I mean, we do long hikes too sometimes, but, you know, it's, it's plain on the trail. If there's some place to stop, you know, if there's a stream or a tree or a boulder to climb, you know, we're, we do that. And there, there's just a lot of, of downtime um, uh, when, we're, when we're camping and hiking. And during that time, that's when, when you have your... You connect with your family. That's when you talk about things. That's when you learn more about what, how they feel about the world. And um, I, I just can't underestimate the value of that. Um, we also did a, a short backpacking trip on, on this, <clears throat> and that you know, that's even better because you just you get away from it all even more. Um, you know, we didn't go far. Um, I have a medical issue that. Uh, challenge that came up this past year for me, so I, I had to learn how to walk again. So I'm happy, I'm really happy that I was able to backpack a couple of miles because six months ago I was using a walker to get around. So um, so that experience was for me really poignant because again, earlier this year, I didn't know if I'd be doing that sort of thing again. And it was a bit of a challenge, but uh, you know, we got, we went up to this beautiful uh, Alpine lake that was carved out by a glacier, you know, a thousand years ago, and um, and we we pitched the tent for three nights, and 
um, just explored the lake, explored the streams, climbed up the slopes, and uh, and just spent a lot of time just hanging out, you know. And a lot of times in nature, if you sit still, things come to you as well. So you can see, sometimes you can see more nature by not moving around. And that's a challenge with kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we'll cultivate that more when they're a little older. But, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. For now, when they're younger, they just, you know, let them roam and, uh, and have some fun along the way. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Yeah, they might. You know, the deer might run away before you get to them because they're making so much noise. But you know, the you can't have them. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, anyway, that's good. Um, so how did you? You know, when you had to come back, how do you, I guess, prepare yourself when you get back and and to attempt re-entry? What you know, what happens? Do you are you kind of stuck out on the trail for a little while? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know it. Yeah, re-entry is a little difficult. I think the last days you start to, your mind starts to, to go there more, and you know, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a sense of dread because you don't know, particularly if you've been off the grid and you haven't had phone or email access, you don't know what crisis might be brewing or what problems you might have to deal with, and and you know that your workload has you know mounted while you were away, so you know it's going to be hard, but you know I think. You know, but I actually once after I get it's the it's anticipating going back to work for me that's worse than actually going back to work. Once I get there, I find um, my my mind changes back. I come in fresh and you know determined, and I'm very productive and get a lot done. Um, uh, you know, and and then I have all those great memories. And I'm you know usually in the evenings I'll going through photos and, you know, cleaning them up and organizing them so kind of relive the experience again as well. Excellent. And you've got you've got nature as such a part of your life every day that, um, and your kids' lives every day, yeah. that it, it makes that transition back into reality a little easier, I imagine. So, yeah. excellent. Um, now, what's the one question that you always get asked, particularly in your family nature clubs, um, that parents ask you when it comes to connecting with nature? Yeah. Well, there's probably well, think, questions, but... <laughs> yeah, you know, in terms of questions, uh, it's usually centers around their fears. You know, I'm, I'm more and more, I don't know why I'm still surprised, but I am surprised at how, how fearful we have become as parents. So, and, you know, and of course a lot of it's fear of the unknown and nature, including our own backyards, literally, but our, our canyons next to our backyards are the unknown for us today, largely in our society. So I get a lot of questions about, you know, what, what the risks are, are there going to be snakes? And my answer is, we're in Southern California. There, you can have a rattlesnake any day of the year, any place in Southern California. So um, does that mean you want to stay inside in a, you know, with padded walls and not let your kids get out? You know, I don't think so. But yeah, the, the question often is about the risks. Um, yeah. And you know, the other I don't know if it's a question, but the other thing that comes up often is a discussion about the other big obstacle, which is over-scheduling, you know. And uh, so I think, you know, a lot of people want, again, they, they, they really want to get out. They see the value of getting out for themselves. They know it will be good for their kids and they'll enjoy it. But they just can't seem to find the time. Um, and I think a lot of them really appreciate having the Family Nature Club because, you know, it's, it goes on the calendar, they RSVP, and then they have a commitment.
almost like having a gym buddy. You know, I'm going to meet you at the gym at five, and you know, you can't cop out at the last second. So I think that's um, but that's that's not a question, but that's another yeah. point of discussion that comes up often. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I know we hadn't talked about this initially before our interview, but there's resources around that I've found just through being more aware um, that can really help, technological resources is, is what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, that can really help um, families, you know, help their kids learn about the environment and learn a bit mm-hmm. as well about the environment. And I know, for example, there's a Museum Victoria app on, you know, on my iPhone that we have and it's... It, helps us identify natural flora and fauna and I found my kids love that and there's you know this a couple of birds down by the river the other day when we went fishing that I had no idea what they were and I should have known because I lived on a you know I grew up on a dairy farm and they're cattle egrets so I should know what they are <laughs> but um you know we put it we looked for it we looked for the bird on there and we found it and then we found out a bit about it and and even for my young children you know that was exciting for them so I think technology, we can engage even more these days, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, it's, I think it's false to try to place a dichotomy between technology and nature. Um, obviously, we don't want our kids to be dealing with technology 80 hours a week, and you know, that's when too often happens. But um, technology is just an incredibly powerful tool for us these days. And I, you know, when I'm hiking, I have my iPhone with me, and you know, I try not. I'm not checking my emails, but um, but I've got apps. You know, I've got bird apps and herp apps, and you know, and I love Google because my kids are they're asked a hundred questions a day, and um, you know, a lot of them, you know, what what's the fastest animal? You know, what animal has the best eyesight? Or you know, all you know, everything you think of. And you know, even as a biologist, I, you know, I know a few of those answers, but I certainly don't know all of them. So I'll, I'll get on my iPhone and I'll Google, you know, what's the fastest fish in the sea, and you know, and having, you know, you know, information and knowledge is also very motivating. And you point out knowing the names of, of things. I think learning the names of things helps you pay attention to nature better because you know, if you know that that plan is a baccarus and that plan is a deer weed or whatever, you know, then you start to notice sort of the ecological community because you know you know what conditions you find those in. And, and I think it makes it more enjoyable. And again, I don't, you know, I don't want to push it too far, as I mentioned before, to be Absolutely. being in nature is not about going out and learning to identify everything. You know, one thing we do, we have a, a little fold-out guide that we pass out to kids. And uh, it's got common plants and animals of the chaparral in Southern California. And, you know, we let, you know, and they can just take it around themselves and try to work on it. They can get things right or wrong. They can come to us for help if they want. But uh, we let them be the driver of that. They have that. They have the knowledge in their hand, and they can use it how they want. And we facilitate that. So, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I agree. Depending on the age of the kids, you know how long they keep that that piece of paper in their hand. I know we did a little. You know, a little scavenger hunt the other day in nature, and we were out exploring. And the, the kids, of course, were quite young, and they spent about maybe four minutes um, actually looking for things. And then they went back and took their buckets and dig in the, dug in the dirt for the rest of the time, which was great. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when when you're two or four, digging in the dirt is going to trump, uh, you know, a nature field guide. 
Yeah. But uh, but it's good. They can go back and they can you know and don't this you know don't try to force kids to do things you know make things available that don't force them to enjoy nature the way you think they should enjoy nature. Let it go of the reins a bit, and and it, it was nice as a parent to be able to do that and just let them go and know that that's okay, and they were having the experience that they needed at the time. So, um, just on that quickly, what about teenagers? Is it when they, as kids get older, is it are they looking for that that freedom? Or obviously, they're looking for you know to hang out with their mates or their friends or whatever. But are they looking for that more organised experience? Well, you know. I, my kids aren't that age yet, so but I've contemplated this, and you know, I <laughs> ask me again in five or ten years, maybe I'll have a better answer after I've actually lived it. And I, I, I wonder how my kids' relationship with nature is going to change. I know personally, in my teen years, I I became a little less connected to nature for quite a few years, and then back in my twenties, I was much more active in nature again. But I think you know we are incredibly intensely social as teenagers and that it, that drives everything and it, and it drives our parents crazy <laughs> um, so but I do think there's a place for you know, as I was talking about before there's a place for social socialization social behavior um, communication actually nature is very rich for that and I think the summer camp experience probably sums that up best but you know a bunch of teenagers that go to a lake for the summer and you know they have crushes on girls and you know they break their arm and they fight you know they do whatever teenagers are doing they go get in trouble they sneak off and do something they're not supposed to do but I think again nature can be a backdrop for those kinds of activities um, but I do think it's probably going to be more challenging as a parent in particular to foster teenagers connecting to nature than it is when you're dealing with toddlers and preschoolers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, we used to go on a lot of trips as a, as a family and I, I found as a teenager I used to, you know, there were driving trips all around Australia and we'd go to these beautiful natural, it was always natural places we'd go to. And because we had our mates there with us in the other car or in the next car or whatever, we were more engaged in that and we wouldn't yeah. run off and do stuff and probably stuff we weren't supposed to do but um my mum will be listening to that so I won't be uh, saying too much about that but uh, <laughs> not so bad um not so bad but we did we engaged better because our friends were there and we were you know not sitting on we didn't have iPhones then but we were not sort of sitting and you know saying I'm bored I'm bored I'm bored we actually got out and, and did some stuff with our with our friends so that was really cool yeah, it and I think you know I think that's a great a great way to do it is to rather is to include them, and uh, the other the other way too, you know you may not always be able to take kids along uh, friends along with with you, but I think and I think you likely will get um, some complaining initially, but I think often once you once you get them out of that I mean I know as a kid we went camping as a teenage teenager and I. You know, I was reluctant to lose my lose my leave my friends behind. But once I was there in the moment, I really enjoyed it, and I had a different kind of experience for a couple of weeks. And well, it was nice too, you know, to have some family time as a teenager. That you know, you don't get that much quality family time in, in your teenagers. So, you know, I think I probably um, disagreed um, about wanting to go. But you know, my parents said, you know, this is what we're going to do. And once once you 
once we did it, I really enjoyed it. So I think uh, that's another a second tool that we have in our toolbox. Sometimes just stepping outside the front door and out of our comfort zone a little bit for all of us parents, kids and teens as well. So excellent. Now we've covered so much wonderful ground today and I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Do you have any final words or parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share? <laughs> Many. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's been pretty far-ranging uh, uh, conversation. Um, I can't think of anything that... Uh, off the top of my head that we haven't covered that's uh, important. <laughs> and how can people find more about you, Ron, and, and your Family Nature Club and all the great, incredibly fun stuff that you do? Well, we have um, a meetup site and a Facebook site. And obviously we're, you know, we're local. You know, we serve the families of San Diego and the, the cities around San Diego. So, um, uh, so the activities would be you know, for, for, for people who live locally. But I'd like to think that what we have is a pretty good model that other people around the world might be interested in. And I certainly can go on our websites. Um, and just uh, if you Google Family Adventures in Nature in San Diego, it should come up and take you to our Facebook site or our Meetup site. And you can see the kinds of activities that we plan, how we, you know, how we describe those activities. Um, and it might be a, uh, a model or a source of information or inspiration for those who might or maybe toying with the idea of starting a family nature club or um, or wanting to join a family nature club. Um, I think uh, uh, and I would encourage people to do that if they're so inclined. Excellent. And, and some of the photos on there, I know there's one particular photo of you and Janice and, and your boys and you in a beautiful natural environment you have the biggest smiles on your faces so that's enough motivation for, for uh, an inspiration I think just you know looking at that looking at that photo so excellent well thank you so much Ron for taking the time to chat to me and, and really enjoyed chatting to you and hopefully we can share lots of great things with with everyone listening and watching today so thank you so much and uh, I look forward to maybe seeing you in November when I'm in San Diego Okay, well, thank you very much, too. I enjoyed speaking to you, and good luck with your endeavor. It's, uh, I'm sure this is going to turn out well. You're talking to a lot of, um, a lot of people that um, are passionate about this issue, and I'm, I'm happy that someone like you is putting some of this information and experiences together to share with others. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Nurture in Nature Radio. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Australian parenting queen of common sense, Maggie Dent. Maggie is a champion for children and parents. In her forthright manner, she will share with us practical advice, strategies and resources for a more common sense raising of our children to help them get along in the world and help us survive and enjoy the journey of parenthood. We'll be talking about the need for children to have real experiences with real people, the restorative powers of time in nature, how to help kids understand and manage their emotions, including grief, and how times of stillness, silence, and mindfulness are vital for kids and parents alike. Please join us next week for what will be a wonderful chat with just an incredible lady. I love chatting to Maggie, and I know you'll learn so much from her. If you'd like to learn some great tips for getting outdoors more often with your family and you'd like some fun ideas for what to do when you're out there, make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter over at www.nurtureinnatureradio.com forward slash play. 
New episodes of Nurture in Nature Radio hit the airwaves every Tuesday morning, Melbourne, Australia time. And of course, you can also listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. So thanks for listening, and now it's time for you to switch off whatever device you're listening on and take that all-important step out the door for lots of fun, learning, and memory-making with your family. I'm your host, Tanya Maloney, and I look forward to seeing you and your family outside. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening to Nurture in Nature Radio. Now let's go play outside. I'll race you to the door. See you again next week. Little trees need a chance to grow. It takes time and care. They're a lot like us, you know.